Hi, boys and girls. This is Ms. Kathy. I'm so happy you've joined me today for another story just for you. Bees and Seashells by Nina Walter Look! Scott exclaimed as he and his two friends reached the edge of the cliff. Down there! Ralph and Jim peered cautiously over the edge. It's Alan, Jim said, probably looking for stupid seashells again. Well, come on, Ralph urged. We're looking for a bee tree, remember? Wait, said Scott. He's on flat top, and the tide's coming in. He has plenty of time to get off, Ralph replied. Maybe he doesn't know about that rock, Scott continued. He's new here. He'll scram when he sees the water rising, Jim said positively. Let's go. Oh, I suppose he's all right, Scott's conceded as the three boys walked away from the cliff toward the grove. Still, he ought to be getting off that rock. Quit worrying, said Ralph. A little salt water won't hurt him, or his dumb shells either. It might take some of the conceit out of him, Jim added. When I invited him to come with us, he said he had better things to do than chasing bees. Scott stopped. I just remembered something else he told me once. He can't swim. He might not notice the tide. I'm going back. Running to the edge of the cliff, Scott looked down. Already the water was lapping at flat top on all sides and water filled the hollow between the rock and the beach, but it was still shallow enough for Alan to wade out if he started at once. Scott cupped his hands to his mouth and yelled, Hey, Alan! But the wind beat the sound back against the cliff. Down on his knees, searching the pools on the wide, flat top of the rock, Alan didn't look up. He seemed to be totally unaware of the rising tide that was rapidly decreasing the size of his little island. Ralph and Jim had followed Scott. They dropped down beside him, and the three yelled together. Still, Alan didn't look up. Scott found a rock about the size of an egg and threw it toward him, but the rock splashed into the sea beyond him. Then Jim and Ralph tried. Finally, one of their missiles hit flat top, and Alan looked up. Get off! Scott yelled, waving his arms. Alan grinned and waved back. Ralph snorted. He thinks we're playing games. Jim heaved another rock, and the puzzled look on Alan's face changed to a look of horror as he watched it plunged into the deep water between him and the shore. He jumped to his feet. Well, he finally got the message, Jim said. Now what? It's too late to do anything about it if he can't swim. How can we help him? There's a coil of rope in that old shack in the grove, Scott said. I'll get it, Jim offered. Look for something heavy to tie on the end of it. He started running. After a short search, Ralph found a rock that seemed just right. When Jim returned with the rope, Scott fastened one end of it to the rock. Tie three knots on the other end, Scott directed, so we'll have something to hold on to. When the three boys looked over the cliff edge again, they were horrified to see that there was barely standing room left on flat top. Alan was staring up at them. You're the best pitcher, Scott said to Ralph. See if you can throw the rock across so Alan can grab the rope. After three tries that went wide, Ralph lay flat on his stomach and inched out over the edge of the cliff. Sit on my feet, he called. He swung the rope in a wide arc and let go. The rock sailed straight across flat top. Alan reached up with both hands and caught the rope just as a small wave washed across the top of his perch. Quickly untying the rock, he looped the rope about his chest, under his arms, and fastened it securely. Then he grasped the rope above his head and looked up. He's ready, Ralph said. Start pulling and don't stop. We first have to pull him through the water to the base of the cliff.
Jim and Scott heaved on the rope till they felt it go slack. Did we lose him? Jim asked. No, Ralph replied. He just crawled out of the water, and he's standing against the cliff. We'd better get him out of there before the water covers that little strip of beach. It's already over the path he came by. Let me see, said Scott. The wind has died down a little. Maybe I can make him hear me. You and Jim make another knot in the rope as close to the cliff edge as you can, and find a smooth place so we don't fray the rope. Scott and Ralph changed places. Hello down there, Scott called. Can you hear me? Alan's voice sounded thin and far away, but his words were clear. I hear you. We'll pull you up, Scott continued. Use your feet to keep from banging into the rocks. Alan nodded and turned to face the cliff. Scott scrambled back to take his place on the rope. The three boys began a steady pull. He's coming up, Ralph said. Must be halfway now. There was a sudden yell from below. My turn to look, said Jim. Hold fast. Peering over the edge, he called down to Alan. What's wrong? Hurry, Alan begged. There's a big hole full of bees here, and one of them bit me. Jim laughed. Pull, he urged. He's found our bees, and they don't like him any better than he likes them. In a few minutes, Alan's head appeared, and Jim helped him scramble to safety. Scott untied the rope. Thanks, Alan said. You saved my life. A few more minutes and... We should have told you about Flat Top, Ralph said. But... But I didn't give you a chance, Alan interrupted. Always talking about seashells. But look what I found down there. From his dripping pocket, he fished three small seashells. They're just shells, Jim said. What's so special about them? They're different, Alan explained. My dad has a contract to complete a collection of seashells for the state museum, and he gives me a quarter for every shell that's different from those we already have. I'm saving up for a bicycle. I'd like to see that collection, Scott said. Well, come with me to our cabin while I change my clothes. Dad is there right now, mounting them and printing their names under them. As the boys started toward the grove, Jim said, We didn't know seashells were valuable. Maybe we could help you look for them. We know some good places. We bought our bikes with wild honey, Scott said. People around here are crazy about it. So that's why you were chasing bees, Alan said. I don't know how you're going to get the honey out of that hole in the cliff. I'll help you if I can, but I'll want a suit of armor. He touched his swollen cheek. If one bee can bite this hard, think what a whole bunch of them could do. Ralph laughed. I guess you don't know any more about bees than we know about seashells. A bee doesn't bite, it stings, and a bunch of bees is called a swarm. From a wet patch under a tree, he scooped up a handful of mud and pressed it to Alan's cheek. It stops the hurting, he explained. We don't have to get the honey, Scott said. Mr. Jarvis pays us just to find it for him. At the door to the cabin, Alan stopped. Thanks again, he said. I found out something. Bees are more important than I thought. So are seashells, Jim said. I guess we all jumped to some wrong conclusions. The story you have heard today is from Guide's Greatest Stories, written by various authors and compiled by Randy Fischel, and used with permission from the Pacific Press Publishing Association. If you're interested in any other books published by the Seventh-day Adventist Church, please visit AdventistBookCenter.com or call 
This podcast is a production of the Carolina Conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church.